Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We're grateful for your word and grateful for the fellowship we have with each other because of your son. Help us remember him. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're in Matthew 17, which is the Transfiguration, also in Mark 9 and Luke 9. <clears throat> Every so often you find yourself looking at the Transfiguration. It's called the Transfiguration because, in verse 2, he was transfigured before them, and he changed his appearance. But what, what really is going on with Transfiguration? Peter and James and John are having what's called an epiphany, generally used when, not the, the religious holiday epiphany, but when you have an epiphany, it is supposed to be a manifestation of the gods. The gods have somehow, when Antiochus IV was called Antiochus IV Epiphanes, it was because he was God manifest, or wanted people to think so. And so now we use having an epiphany anytime the big things descend on you. You have something, the heavens open, you are shown um, whatever it is that, that you needed this major transition in. Well, this is an epiphany. A lot of us would like to have them. You'd like to be out walking on the... Uh, University golf course, not playing golf, of course, but, um, but just walking in the fog, throwing rocks at the leech's house from down there. <laughs> but we all do on a Saturday night. You want the heavens to roll back like a scroll, a beam of light like in the Blues Brothers coming through the window, landing on you. We have this desire for epiphanies, and I'm not sure we're really ready for them. Because what epiphanies do, uh, what's that phrase that people use about uh, kind of a negative reviewing phrase of a TV show or a movie or a character? They say, I, I think he insists upon himself too much. An epiphany does just that. It insists. What you are gets blown away. It insists on itself. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's the little exchange that struck me. What Peter said, what the voice from heaven said. 
If you have an epiphany, what should you be doing during an epiphany? Not doing what Peter did. I, we think we can sum that up. I like the phrase, just in Matthew it goes, and while he was still talking, while he was still say, talking about making little huts for the transfigured Christ, Moses and Elijah, the epiphany, like that hymn with the triumphant music, continues in its triumph, stomping out what Peter is saying, for God to say something else. It's not that Peter didn't want to listen to Christ, but he was dealing with it the way he wanted, as best he could. And in Luke it says, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Let us make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, no, not knowing what he said. Exactly. We are practiced in self. You get up in the morning, you're good at it. You know, I don't know, even if you were to make a movie of you, I, I, I sometimes think of myself, what I appear like getting up in the morning. It's not pleasant, you don't want to be there. But I have that crotchety old guy staggering to the bathroom. We know about ourselves, we know what we do. We, are, we find ourselves moved by our passions, moved by our reason, moved by our world that we, we've concerned ourselves with it. In the Luke account, the parting of Moses and Elijah made Peter want to grab hold of the situation and say, okay, let's plant this on the mountain. Let's begin the kingdom of God on earth here. Not quite knowing what he was saying. He was trying to do something. Oh, they're not leaving, are they? Quite yet. But they were. But God wasn't there to show him Moses and Elijah and a transfigured Christ so that the kingdom of God could be inaugurated and, and they could begin on this mountain to begin the, the building of the city of God on earth. Um, it was just to tell you that this is his beloved son with whom I am well pleased and the only thing read on the page, listen to him. It's really hard to do that. Um, because we're always choosing. Our knowledge of self, our knowledge of our own opinions. Have you watched uh, anything on Facebook, conservative or liberal Christendom, we'll call it, not the political stuff, but conservative and liberal Christendom, both just annoy the heck out of me. Pardon my French. Because in one way or another, both, one, they're insisting that we listen to them, and um, They seem to be about devising a 
understanding that is more reflective of themselves than they are reflective of the Christ. You ever find yourself reading through the Gospels and going, I don't recognize this guy. I mean, I went to church growing up, went to Sunday school. I got to color a lot of pictures of Jesus. I mean, Southern Baptist coloring, that's their, you know, Eucharist, as far as I know. They, you get spent a lot of time coloring. And I, when I got into my majority and, and started reading the Bible on my own, um, first you found yourself you know, supported in the many things that you thought by running into the passages that supported it or suggested it. Um, but then after a while, you started running into places you were probably warned not to go. I've had people tell me not to read certain books of the Bible because they didn't like what they said. We're about, conservative and liberal, we're about designing the kingdom of God on the top of the mountain, not knowing what we're saying. We're not the makers of heaven and earth. We are not God. And in the, in the epiphany moment, in the epiphany moment, that's the tension. Are you going to listen to the manifestation of the God? I have a passage here on the side from Ecclesiastes 5.1. It's one of my favorite passages. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Peter didn't know what he was saying. You know, he was going, uh, blathering, uh, spiritual terms, filling in the blanks with whatever hope, aspiration he had for the kingdom of God. He was shooting from the hip. Okay, we don't think that Peter was sinning. He was just being Peter. But it can get worse. When we think the religious moments are those moments where we get to, uh, that's a real temptation for pastors, because they give you this really cool pulpit. I do want flames painted on the side at some point. A microphone. That's a real satisfying. Have you ever used a microphone? Some of you are musicians, you've used microphones. There's nothing like it, I'm telling you. In the conversation we're having, you and I, you're not talking at all. And I am amplified. And it's not fair. A real great temptation to say things not knowing what I say. That not many of you become teachers, my brethren. The teacher will be more strictly judged. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Thinking when you go into the presence of your epiphany moment or your religious services or whatever it is, that just the sound of your voice, because you're comfortable, remember, with yourself. You know yourself. You know what yourself is after. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you upon earth, 
Therefore, let your words be few. A passage I, many years ago, I taught a, a session on how to cut down on your prayer life. Quit being about you. Quit thinking that you need to sound off. You're standing in the presence of God manifest and you're supposed to primarily listen. You can't expect to trot into his courtroom, courtroom or courts with requests when his commands to you, his teaching to you, not just commands, but his way of seeing your, his universe, you have paid no attention to. You have not listened one moment this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, that was a real short little moment. We're up on a hill. Jesus goes through this, you know, moment of, you know, glow in the dark. Two other characters didn't walk up there with him. Did they recognize how they did that? I don't know. Moses and Elijah. Peter starts blathering. God says, what I wanted to say in this moment was, listen to Jesus. That's what I wanted to get across to you. Listen to Jesus. And we have to practice this. We can't expect that God would give you a real epiphany if, looking at the text, you are constantly blathering like Peter, saying what you want to say about it, not what he says. Not trying to figure out what it is that's on the page. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision. They yeah, like he would have an epiphany and not we'd be out there sharing with everybody. Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now the disciples at this point in Christ's ministry don't have a category for that little phrase. Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. But they have a theological question. The disciples asked him, why then? Then why do the scribes say that Elijah, first Elijah must come. He replied, Elijah does come and he is to restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. Jesus is telling them to and God has just told him in a moment of transfiguration, the epiphany of the, of the highest kind, the true God, his son, glorified on earth, the voice of God coming down from heaven says, listen to this guy, and they don't. They're amazed, certainly. They want to run around building little tents. They have, they have plans, their plans for what religion should be like. Not the, not the plans that the God says the religion is supposed to be like. Because the God is saying, they're going to kill me. Not only did your expectation of, was your expectation of Elijah correct, but he did come, and he was abused, and he was killed. And they're going to do the same to the Son of Man. Are you listening to me? 
Oh, no, 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 that's all right, Jesus. We'll, we'll make some tents. We'll make some little tabernacles for you to be in. We've got plans for your greatness. Are we ready to understand Christianity as the Christ has spoken of it? Not as Christendom has spoken of it. I am... I read back in the early 80s, I read The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. Great book. Been a long time. Leslie just finished reading it, so I thought I'd read it again. And my gosh, what a gift that guy had to describe religious minds. You don't, if you're not ready to see how sausages are made, you don't want to read uh, Name of the Rose. Um, it is dis disturbing the way they thought in the 1300s, if Echo is right. But well done. We're about, Christendom has been running around, every man, no less than the average postmodernist today, and maybe we're just shocked, we're just shocked that the postmodernists have finally said, you know, let's make a theory out of this, imposing our will on other things, other texts, not putting the meaning that the text had in the text, but let's put our own meaning on it. Christians have been doing that for two millennia. Making stuff up and making it fit. And then saying, of course, that's what it says. We don't have the, you might say, we don't have the grace of the postmodern. The, the, the postmodern says, yeah, yeah, nothing has real meaning, only the meaning you bring to it. At least they're honest. We're not. We were faced with something, we finally got it through our head that Jesus was coming to die. We finally, coming to die, be raised again. The disciples finally figured it out. Christianity figured out some things. But you have to understand why sometimes the, the, well, this short epiphany, this short transfiguration, boom, in, out, back to work, uh, told not to talk about it till later. You can understand why we might not be trusted to have them because we've got it all laid out for us already and not because that fills the void of what an epiphany could be. I think having mystical experiences would be good, but probably I would only trust those people to have them. We were talking about cessationism on the porch last Monday after uh, Bible study, and, and uh, it's on whether the gifts are still functional. And um, I always, I would feel much better if people I saw having obeyed the scripture across the board were the ones practicing it, whatever it is, you know. If, if you see faithfulness to that which has been revealed, if you see listening to that which has been written, believing what God has put in the scriptures first, then I might have some truck with what a person comes back from an epiphany with. I have at the end of the passage there, after verse 13, you notice I just trimmed out about four verses three verses. That's not because I'm sinful and I'm messing with the Word of God. I just wanted the, 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 a few incidents happen. He's healing an epileptic. There's a um, various healings going on and Christ making comments. And I wanted to put in the comments of Christ 
with Acts 3. And Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. You ever get the weariness in Christ's voice right there? Oh, geez, says the Lord. Because if, if he says geez, it's okay because he's Jesus. My goodness, what? And you look at the guy bringing the situation. I just, what? Just. And then in verse 20, he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you had faith the size of the grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Basically saying faith's not the problem. It's so little, you can't do this. There's a, a, what's going on with Jesus? I was reading through the Psalms this morning, and, well, gee, man, David had a problem. I mean, it's always, oh, why have you deserted me? Everything, everything in the Psalms is almost like, oh, heavens, rotten life, your steadfast love endures forever. Okay, hope in God. Sort of thing that, okay, maybe he had a rough life. You run across something like this. We're told to listen to Christ by God himself, and the next three things the Lord says is like landmines thrown out in front of you. Let's step on those for a little bit. And then he says in 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Can you be clear? Ever wondered, Jesus, can you be clear with us? Here you go. But boy, what an awful, when the religion has existed for 2,000 years, okay? We have the privilege of seeing a lot of crucifixes. And we know what the crucifixion story is, and we revel in it. It's our gospel. But these are the guys on the other side of it. And he's looking at them, and words are coming out of his mouth, and they've been told by the living God to listen to the words coming out of his mouth, and he says it in the most clear fashion, and by the time Jesus comes to die, they still don't understand. Because they don't listen. Why is it important for the Lord to tell us to listen to his son? Well, because it's the, it's the home of all of our problems. All of our sins are you having faith in you, or faith in some other yous that you have taken as your authority, but not faith in God. Faith in God is accepting the lordship direction. What does it say of Abraham? In Romans 4. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So what are you going to do with these passages? You've got these passages, oh, faithless and perverse generation, the OGs moment. Because of your little faith, oh, they're going to kill me. Dark things We would not, they would not write that kind of religion up. If you were given a blank slate, make up a good religion, what would you make up? I don't know, I don't know. I'd have the, I'd have the God become a man, and then I'd have everybody kill him. 
like, you sound like, you know, a romance novelist. I, uh, what's, what's wrong with you? We'd come up with something like Buddhism. That's what we'd come up with, you know. Uh, we're like Peter. We want to build little booths. We want to shape little religious buildings for our God. We want to make temples. We want to make kingdoms. I'm looking at this and going, you know, what Jesus does seem to be in, I mean, he says dark things a lot of times, but right after this, right after this glorious moment of transfiguration, why is it so grim? Why is he so tired or distressed? Because Luke 9, which is the transfiguration in Luke, and behold, two men talked with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. The conversation he had, it wasn't just, uh, kind of like an altarpiece triptych, here's Moses, here's Elijah, here's Jesus, you know, really white and bright. And my gosh, what a great picture. No, they were talking, and they were talking about the Lord's death. That's what Luke tells you. They were talking to each other about... So not only when the Moses and Elijah start to leave, Peter's... Remember when Jesus calls Peter Satan? When he tells him about his death and he says, it shall not be so, he said, get behind me, Satan. The tension between us listening to ourselves blather and we think we're doing just fine because we're saying spiritual sounding stuff. We're standing up for God. Whatever it is you're doing, does your speech echo the word of God? Have you listened to him? Have you designed something very clearly, not where it all agrees with you and what you kind of like, and, but where it doesn't? Where you just said, oh, I guess I'm wrong. You have to understand that he comes out of this conversation. He's been the transcendent God for eternity. Showing up with brighter clothes is not a big deal. Showing up with Moses and Elijah, who he had been the God of, not big. they are there talking to him about his death. You know he cared about that moment. You know he came to do that moment. You know he asked to get out of that moment. They're talking to him about that moment. He comes down from the hill with a different mood on him than Peter, James, and John. Do you understand your God? Do you understand what he said? Do you understand what he taught? Do you listen to him? There's an awful lot. I jotted this down just because I thought of it in passing. It might not, it might be more of a truism or a than a and something absolute. He didn't die because you were important. He died because he was important. And we seem to think that our Christianity, God's death, his mercy for you, his love for you. It's why you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. In fact, 
his love, his, his love, who he was was why he died, who his character, uh, what his character could achieve was why he died, because nothing in you and nothing in me and nothing in anyone else deserved it. That's where we're told to listen to him. But our natural thing is to listen to ourselves. All your sins are because you serve yourself instead of the living God. God says, do this. He says, I'm going to go do that. Who are you listening to? Well, me, of course, because I'm used to that. Stop listening to you. You don't know what you're saying. Even when we're saying religious things, we don't know what we're saying. It's far better. Have you ever talked to my father? Some of you have. You get Bible verse after he can't even write an article anymore. I, I reprimand him for this because someone must. But he's just starts stringing passages together. There is no Jim Wilson in between. Any, no explanation. Just another passage and another passage and another passage and another passage. He can write whole tracts with no Jim Wilson in them. Just passages of scripture. Now, part of that is because he's read the Bible through every year for 60-some years. It's kind of in his brain. Do you think in biblical terms? Now, we might not agree. We're not telling you to agree with each other. Or they do you, just between you and it, do you define your mind by what you have read of God? Because he is important. And we don't like things it says. You've noticed this with the more liberal evangelical churches who are becoming open to well, Title IX sort of things, you know, uh, the expression of, you know, God really, really wants, you know, women to be in leadership too. And especially if they're gay Eskimos. Because we don't have a large representation of the Eskimo population, let alone the lesbian population. So, you know, maybe we have a bishop that was one of those. But it says, ah, we're busy reading something into. We're busy offering to build booths for our expression of what this religion is supposed to be like. You might be up to something else. You might be talking to Moses and Elijah about something important coming up in the actual religion, but we're going to build you some little tents. We're, we're always in religion wanting to write this religion up for ourselves because the one we've been given by the living God, we don't always like. I mean, I run into people who say, well, uh, Andrew Bates was talking about a friend of his who rejected God because some awful thing that happens like you don't you, you don't get you don't get it gods are gods they are not a subject matter for a fiction you are writing that you then write a good enough fiction for your emotions you get to go pretend that that's a religion you don't design this you only realize it. My wife and I were talking about it yesterday, I think, or maybe the day before, I lost track in the, the whirlwind of love, which is our life. 
We were talking about it, um, about some um, comment about, what was it? About learning to let something be something. And I, it didn't sound right. I thought about it for a few minutes. I said, no, no, no. We don't let something be something. We realize something is something. I related it, it was about husbands and wives. It was about uh, women who let their husband lead. You don't let him lead. That's still you in charge, isn't it? <laughs> you know, because women will never give up being in charge. You don't let him lead. What is it? Well, when I went in the military, I, I wasn't there in boot camp, you know, in parade rest at some part of the grinder, that's the pave, pavement, going, huh, I really got to let the commanding officer lead. I really got to let him lead. No, I was busy wetting my pants and realizing that he was a demigod. That he could tell me what to do in every aspect of my life. I stenciled my underwear the way he told me to stencil my underwear. It's amazing the little details they require. How the comb slides into the back of the lacings on your 14 button wool pants. The comb has to slide in a certain way. You didn't know we had a comb back there, did you? But it wasn't because I let them be in charge. I realized they were in charge. You're not going to have this. This is not another fiction where you get to say, oh, so Evan is saying that we've got to allow God, no, you don't allow God to be anything. You only realize. We still insist on our postmodernism, our humanity, basically. Postmodernism is just a codified that I am going to impose my meaning on it. You give it standing. Just realize the standing. I had at the end, this last section, Job 40, because it's that great moment where God's fed up, Elijah, Elihu got fed up, and then God gets fed up, and he wades into Job in no uncertain terms. We're about halfway through the chewing out, okay? God is chewing him out the last few chapters of Job. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, and I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you declare to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your son, the coming of your word, from eternity past to a life here, speaking to us 
and telling us of what you thought, we'd ask that we would listen. In your son's name, amen.